Paul Leroy is relentlessly creative, former big deal musical director at numerous large hotels across the U.S., now big deal crypto guy and blossoming filmmaker based in France. Paul has been in the process of doing deep work, healing from trauma and recovering on a profound and powerful level. We are thrilled to talk about all of this and more today on Sober. Creativity, authenticity, body autonomy, mental health, sexuality, gender identity, recovery, recovery, got it, mental growth, sober, sex, all of this and more, sober, sex, you'll never get bored, sober, sex, all of this and more, sober, sex, we're never ever bored, creativity, authenticity, body autonomy, and mental health. Sexuality, gender identity, recovery, recovery, got a spiritual growth. Sober, sex, you'll never get bored. Sober, sex, all of this and more. Sober, sex, you'll never get bored. Sober, sex, all of this and more. I mean, don't be <laughs> deceived by this Airbnb. You know, this is just one backdrop. <laughs> I had like, this is it. It was a shit show checking in last night. Uh, so. So you're in Mexico City? I'm in Mexico City, yeah. After oh my um, goodness. After having just done a full weekend in the woods in Brevik, south of Stockholm, with like, you know, a lot of it was confidential, but I can at least share that we had no sense of time doing this men's retreat. <laughs> That's just, so intense. Oh, man, I cannot wait to get into it that you're like, this is confidential. I'm like, what are they doing at men's retreats? <laughs> yeah, there's, there's time that you, you, sign, you sign a lot off that you, um, I think it's just to keep it sacred. That's I'm nice. Saying. That's kind of nice. But as soon as somebody's like NDA, I'm like, is this sacred? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, is that yeah. what this is for? <laughs> Sanctity? Yeah. No, people will get hurt. <laughs> people are going to get hurt. <laughs> That's what's oh, going yeah. On. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so how are you? Like, did you just land? Uh, I landed late last night. And uh, yeah, yesterday was a bit of a circus timetable, but I pulled it off. It's like 4 a.m. wake up out of Stockholm and then uh, transfer in Paris and then direct here to CDMX. Um, and then uh, and then it's kind of full on starting this afternoon. So this, this is a perfect window. As I mean, we could have waited till next week, Paul. No, it's <laughs> actually because next week's getting weirder, so it doesn't matter. It's like, oh man. So, how are you feeling with all that? Like, it sounds quite disorienting and intense, but maybe that's like kind of cool um, and fun. I'm cool with it. You know, it's it's hit or miss. It ebbs and flows. Um, it's not every week that's like this, and you know, but it's it's also you know, it's good for me for somebody who's like already used, you know, for. For, for like a former drug addict, like I need my sober life to be a little fucked up. So Amen. <laughs> I, can, I can handle it. Awesome. So before we kind of begin uh, to get too deep, what are your pronouns? He and him. Cool. Hence the men's weekend. And what is your experience of gender today? Today? Today. Oh, okay, today. Yeah, um, it's, it can be a moving target. It's cool. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I thought that we were going to go, like, historically speaking. But, like, today... All of it. Whatever you want, boo. This is a long-form podcast. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's changing. And, I, and, I'm, and I'm glad that it's changing. And, I, and I'm, you know, the impermanence of it all and the, and the, and the sort of Taoist philosophy of the sort of flexibility. And, um, 
really, I mean, what I'm leaning into is like understanding masculine essence in a sense that like, you know, um, what was, what was a, a lack thereof in my life and how mm. do I kind of get a grasp of it today and learn from others um, and not necessarily in a trusted setting, you know, in, in like people giving you sort of informed influence as opposed to these people you're stuck with. So you're sort yeah. of seeking out role models instead of like, well, this is all I got. This is all I learned. <laughs> yeah. And I think also that like, it seems like the work you're doing in that department is really intentional and really healthy as opposed to kind of like, you know, we talk here on Sober Sex and, and, and kind of in the, in the circles we roll in, there's a lot of talk about like toxic masculinity or the patriarchy, but like there is such a thing as really healthy masculinity, you know, and that doesn't necessarily, that's not necessarily exclusive to men. Right. But like embodying kind of intentionally these, this yeah. energy. Yeah. It really comes down to uh, mature male psychology. And which, you know, we don't have a whole lot of exposure of that. And, and just, yeah, like, I'm actually kind of unfamiliar with the concept. So can you talk about it a little fine. bit? Yeah, you should be. Cause so was I, <laughs> you know, like my whole life. Um, I mean, I can give you an example and I can even break some things down from what I've been exposed to and what I'm studying really. And, awesome. You know, I mean, the patriarchy is boy psychology. It really is. And it, and it has been, you know, it has been, cross-referenced and analyzed by many psychologists and it just it represents domination mm. and it's there to sort of you know disempower and continue remaining in power and it's deliberate but it comes from a place of real immaturity and ignorance um, and it's also even the patriarch is threatened by mature masculine psychology right and and how do we construct that um it's really fascinating because what in, in order to get there, it, it requires a sort of death of sorts. Mm. We love an ego death. That's our fave. <laughs> yeah, totally. And in some ways, I think I experienced some of that through recovery. And in other ways, you know, I'm in pursuit of that in my own quest and journey and, and learning how there must be this like sort of pseudo initiation, which, you know, this is, again, this is why these things need to remain sacred and, and they're not, um, spelled out in every sort of public format. Um, well, because isn't that kind of part of it that like right now there actually is no kind of cultural transition from like a ritual yeah. surrounding like boyhood yeah. to manhood, right? Zero. You really think about it, and and it perpetuates you know all this trauma, and and it really is like it's. I mean, my own personal experience. You know, I was gifted with. Um, the, essentially the patriarch in my family. You know, I had a, um, a stepfather who probably had the biggest influence on me outside of my father. And they're such polarizing personalities. You know, I, I have a stepfather who's like um, the 50s or came, was brought up from the 50s American man, you mm -hmm. know, like pro-Vietnam War or whatever. And, and, and given that path, and then I have my father who came from Europe who is more on the feminine side, um, and I mean, after all, the French. <laughs> yeah, and raised by strong women. and But at the same time, you know, the more you study this and understand it, there was something even missing in these men. Even though they said no to Vietnam, internally, they didn't know how to say yes to masculinity. You know, so it's like, um, and they struggled. And they struggled with their, you know, these kind of like roles within the family and leadership and, you know, these things that are that we sort of realize that they're, 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 we, we shouldn't vilify them. 
we should embrace them. And I think there's one writer refers to that as like Zeus energy. Huh. And, and yet, you know, it can so quickly look like the patriarch again. So we have to get really clear about these terms and what we're, and what we're seeking. Yeah. Or like what's, yeah, what's toxic and what's healthy and kind of like, what are the yes. behaviors that like tell us which is which. Right. And, and also, you know, what I keep learning around my men's circles is like they're, you know, they have a responsibility to examine their own toxic shame and, and what's gone on since their childhood or what's been gifted to them through their parents or their grandparents. You know, there was an incredible amount of shame um, that's been happening for years. And, and I think that goes alongside with intergenerational trauma and, Oh man, that part don't get me started. <laughs> yeah, no. Okay, so let's but let's briefly. Sex. It definitely leads to sex, which is great. Yeah, and 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 here we are to talk about it. So, which I'm very yeah. excited to to talk to you today because I know how much like you know kind of heavy lifting you've done on this stuff. Um, but briefly, on a lighter note, like professionally, <laughs> you've worn a lot of different hats. <laughs> Can you mm-hmm. talk about a little like and and it seems like you're kind of on a on a jet setting tip right now, but that's not necessarily new in your life. Can you talk a little bit about kind of like your trajectory and like how you got where you are and what exactly you're doing? Mm. Yeah, gladly. Um, well, it also fits with my childhood upbringing because I just I moved around my whole life and. To be fair, my mother was an army brat from like the 50s and 60s. So she had that kind of itchy feet syndrome. So even though we didn't have like the government's bill to like, you know, relocate us all the time, she like put all her um, lovers and husbands through this hell of like removing, you know. Guess what? Like, Bye. <laughs> yeah, totally. I, it's just like the wind would blow. And next thing you know, she's like, I want to move to Canada. Um, so we just uprooted and, and moved around a lot and lived in several states, both coasts, you know, a few countries. Um, and somewhere um, I ended up landing in just north of Chicago, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and kind of and gave up sports and, and like fell into the electronic music scene at like a pretty young age, um, 15, 16 years old. And within a f- like a year or two, I already started promoting doing events in the Chicagoland area and and those events were actually really successful and I, and I was able to like afford like tables and, and get into this industry and take it really serious because um, I loved it and and I came from a home that like you know wasn't really safe <laughs> put it that way or attractive by any means and and I found like refuge and and like electronic music and raver culture in the midwest it was such a it was such a special time and um there's also i wish there was another friend of mine who could join this podcast he'd say something so much more enlightening but like <laughs> this this era just like provided such safety and community and almost like a sangha and like a buddhist sense and i think it really saved my life at that age and so it's it's something that's you know really dear to me and always in in my heart um, and one of my other passions was also film. So as I was sort of pursuing, you know, this um, this craft called that of, of working electronic music, I also had this passion of storytelling that I just couldn't didn't know what to do with yet and just didn't know how to put it down. And so the best of both worlds was to relocate in Chicago and go to film school and like continue like DJing and, and you know, getting schooled in that environment, which I was happy to do so. Um cut to I also relocated to Paris at one point and studied film and immersed myself in sort of European cinema 
um, moved back to Chicago and, uh, and and made the big move to New York. It was, it was time. Because um, really Chicago good. was feeling kind of small or it, that was like the next step? I just, I don't think it was small as much as I was just like really in a groove of like needing challenges. You know, I just. <laughs> You're like, no, it had to be harder. <laughs> it has to be harder. That's, I'm Capricorns. I don't know. We just, hey. <laughs> you know, there's just something, just let's make it harder, which this, this will play a really you know, crucial role in what we're going to share later. Um, but then in New York, I also think it afforded me that sort of freedom to connect with others who really just weren't quite certain what their voice was, you know, mm-hmm. like they were, they were like figuring it out. And, and that's what we were doing in our twenties, you know, right. You really are just figuring out. We put too much pressure on people to have had it figured out. Too yeah. young of and age. also like brand it, <laughs> yeah, brand yourself and all this stuff. It's like, yeah, man, I don't even know enough about the fucking world to create a brand. Like I need to live some life. And and fortunately, just through my networks in, in New York, I started really like rubbing shoulders with the right people in film. Like one of my first films I got to work on as a PA was with Jim Jarmusch on Coffee and Cigarettes. You know, like just it, it just, the path was there. It was like really unfolding nicely. Um, and and I also got involved in acting and trained myself as a Meisner, you know, Meisner's technique and, and then things and that world moved even faster. And before I knew it, um, I was writing a TV series and I was like, you know, having to get a lawyer and like try to create this series about um, an era of New York that my EP and, and, and literally like boss and mentor at that time wanted to document. And that was like the explosion of all these bands in New York and sort of like the early 2000s. And oh, yes, no, yeah, no, no, notice the meet me in the bathroom, Andy Sleaze era. <laughs> it's exactly that. I did, I just wanted to, you know, not have to go to that title, but it was exactly that era, you know, and just it was, it was literally like overnight. These bands were just like blowing up, and I just it was amazing. Fail. Yeah, and and so we interviewed a bunch of people, and we had, you know, we had a lot of folks in the same circle, and we made this little pilot about just sort of like the uniqueness of New York City versus other cities. Is like you can, you know, you can have these sort of beer bottle pockets, but running around with like champagne crowds and like an artist and, you know, just something that makes New York special for what it is. And, and my boss was right. And it was like, really, you know, it was something you should document. However, I will say today, making narrative format projects about music is like, you're doomed. It's really hard, you know? Yeah. Unless you're like Frank Pearson and like you've just nailed it with like a classic Star is Born or something like that. It's like oh, music and opinions about music is so subjective and people are just turned off immediately about the genre and things like that. So to really, you know, not everybody can write like a Cameron Crowe piece. And so we, we struggled with that. And But we did complete the project. We had an amazing cast and it was just a timing thing. You know, it, we, we ran into the writer's strike issue and also... Um, we were funded by AIG. So this was a, a real wild setting where uh, one day, like we got a call and they're just like AIG declares bankruptcy, you know, oh, no. <laughs> they're no longer funding television shows. That's it. That, that <laughs> happened. Like that moment happened where like someone's like, oh, turn on the TV. And you're like, Oh, we're finished. <laughs> That's oh, a wrap. Shit. We're out of the office. You know? Oh man. Yeah. That must've been such a fucking harsh blow. Like it was, but, you know, and it was, and oh. there was, we had such a, we were so close to, you know, the, the agent that was repping our project. She was like, you guys have created something so unique here. And it's really just, you know, it's fringe and it's on the verge. It's just everyone froze at that time. And and why this timeline is so significant is that's when 
um, Andre Belaz from like the standard, like picked up on me and, and asked me like start DJing at the new standard in New York city. And, and we were in the early months kind of just tooling around with the identity of what that was like in New York. And then I kind of grew into this role, like very slowly into like their, their music director, making some decisions on, on all their DJs that they hired. And, and then that grew into a job transfer in Los Angeles. And I handled the downtown property and did all the bookings there. And, and I brought like my, you know, I brought my, my Midwest steez with me, you know, I was just like determined to like book all the Chicago Detroit acts and, and, you know, just play fair with like those heroes of mine and also be very um, open-minded to like the, the, the neighboring scenes and things like that, the locals that were coming up both when I was in New York and especially when I was in LA. So that's um, awesome. And then, so like from there, how'd you wind up in, in Paris? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I Great guess question. I'm almost skipping a chapter. So I, so I kind of pigeonholed myself actually, this is a good point. So now I said, now I'm a curator. And my DJing is like laughable. Like nobody will book me anymore. <laughs> like, everyone's like, no, you're like, you no, 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 no. He's the boss. Yeah. yeah <laughs> you're like, you know, whatever I've done before to get me that seat is now like irrelevant. And then people are like, you don't really DJ, do you? And I was like, hell yeah, I do. And they're like, nah. <laughs> oh. So, so I sort of ended up, um, and it's fine, you know, that we all have to have a death to something. Um, <laughs> and, then I, and I did curatorial stuff for Soul House. And I, and I think my, my path was to kind of go international at some point if I was going to keep doing this. And um, there was talks of that being like more of a global role. And then I, I just reached a place where like I wasn't going to wait for anybody to make my life global. You know, I was going to like put in all my time and like, you know, dot all my I's and cross all my T's. So I was like, if I want to do this. And wait and hope. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I kind of, I just mustered the, I guess the courage to just be like, I think this chapter of New York's done. And, and I moved to Berlin and, and I, maybe that's a midlife crisis thing. I don't know. <laughs> I'm sure there's experts that would say that. Um, there were certainly moments while I was in Berlin that I was more broke than I've been in my adult life. Where I was like, what am I doing? <laughs> but I'm dancing every weekend. Um, but I got it out of my system and I worked there as a, as a creative director for an agency and I started booking DJs and it, it was interesting. It also, it reminded me that this is as professional as the industry can seem at times, you're at the risk of working with very unprofessional people. Oh yes. And I've, and I've had, I've been fortunate to work with some real badasses over the years and suddenly I felt like I was taking a couple steps back and, and, but what Berlin did do, and, and this is poignant, is it gave me time and space to really look at what was important to me. You know, I wasn't on the grind like I was in New York. I wasn't dissociating like the way I'm used to. And that, this, this, More film, on that later. <laughs> yeah, this, this film that I'd started several years ago, which I didn't even mention earlier about my French family and kind of like identifying with, you know, the French side to my life which is supposedly half of it, you know, or, um, it, the project needs to be finished. Like I need to investigate this. You know, that's it. As, as an artist, as a storyteller, like I need time and space to understand, you know, what this is about and how to tell this story. And, and when I started it many, many years ago, I felt like it, it had more of a purpose. And then I, I halted because of the work I needed to do. I slipped into addiction. That's the truth. And, you know, 
you should know that when I moved to Berlin, I moved to Berlin sober. And, and so I had this sort of time and space and, and I was sort of against the grain, considered the, no, the norm in, in Berlin. And to really like work on this and, and to connect with my heart and trying to understand what's important about this story. And it sure as hell is not some white dude with daddy issues, you know, <laughs> like, so like, you know, and I can't. Was that a fear of yours? Um, a that fear would be, that's how it would be perceived. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And I also think it was a timing thing. You know, there's, I'd waited so long to kind of start to compile the, the edits of this story and the footage that was like, we, the world has changed so much in the last 15 years. This is practically irrelevant. However, what was starting to surface was that, you know, me as a sober man was starting to look at my trauma and understand that 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 search is a bit is obviously way more universal and and i think i was i was exposed to sort of sigmatic techniques that were that i'd learned through some therapists in berlin and some theories started growing and that's why i dove into um other writers and and, and you know fortunately even things like gabor mate which gave me a lot more confidence to accept my addiction you know and to actually kind of be grateful about it and be like wow Can you, just for listeners who might not kind of be familiar with Gabor Mate's work, can you speak a little bit about what some of the the ideas there like unlocked for you? Yeah, 100%. I mean, um, first of all, I I think he does a really good job of sort of untangling all the shame that many addicts go through when when they're either trying to get off of a substance or when they're immediately off it. Um, On top of it, he's done so much childhood development research that he really just sort of spells out these scenarios of like what makes an addict in many ways. And yeah. Whether- well, cause his, his like kind of basic premise is that like addiction is kind of a sane response to an insane world. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I mean, essentially um, there, there's a series of things that usually happen in environments and, and most of them are, are lack of safety mm-hmm. and they do with your safety as a child. And so that we're, we're sort of, um, Therefore, we're sort of lacking some emotional regulatory skills. And then we start seeking these through external sources. You know, some people find healthier forms and some people don't. And, you know, sort of depending on your settings, you're sort of at the risk of exploring these things to the depths of hell in some ways. Right. Yeah. Um, Or it's like at the cost of literally everything in your life. Yeah. Yeah. Knowing knowing that that there are consequences and yet you just can't stop. Um, And kind of speaking of like early childhood experiences. Can you talk a little bit about like what were the first messages you remember receiving around sex or sexuality? Mm, yeah. You see this braid for this braid we're, we're pulling together. Yeah, of course. I mean, you know, bring, bring back to the core subject. Um, there are, co- they're all core subjects. <laughs> good. Good. I mean, I, it's funny cause I just sort of shared some of this stuff already. So it's pretty fresh. I mean, you know, I grew up in a household where there was a lot of infidelity. Uh, there was a lot of um, confusion around the sort of polarity of like these roles, masculine, feminine, and mother, father, things like that. It was really, we kind of, yeah. And, and also with the French father, like I think it was always just swept under the rug or just like, we're so European. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's, like, it's a very, it's a cultural trope, I think. Yeah, where I was like, I, you know, I, I learned this in my adult life, but my mother reminded me that like, I, I pretty much like walked in on her having an affair, 
And, and so that, that already was like kind of confusing. And, you know, I was always asking like where, when my dad was at while she was um, literally still having an affair with a, a lawyer that was like getting us out of this financial mess that my father got us into, you know, that, those kind of dynamics. Mm. Um, sex wasn't really discussed, you know, it wasn't, we didn't talk about it a lot. Um, but I feel like they were, you know, I knew as adults they were they were engaging in, in, in acts that were causing issues that were outside of a vow or something. And so um, some other early experiences, I, I know just like experiencing my father's sadness during the divorce and living in like a two-bedroom apartment in Phoenix, Arizona. It's like a singles, you know commune or something you know it's like right out of the simpsons or something you know i was just as you can imagine it and and had like a small stack of like pornography in the top shelf of his closet you know it's just like you know the dude moves on i guess and 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 also he had several partners that i was introduced to and i would spend uh, every other weekend with them so i think there's sort of some kind of confusion about his pain and and discovery of like what makes him happy and and you Mm. know what is intimacy? Because I also, um, I didn't really, and this is going to dovetail nice into my own experience, but I don't think I really um, witnessed like real authentic intimacy. I either witnessed like loss or obsession or um, neither, you know, very like yeah. cold interactions around, around love and intimacy and sex. Fuck. Okay. So how did drugs and alcohol enter the picture for you? I think they allowed me to be as intimate as I possibly could. At that yeah. Moment. Or survive. Then, yeah. Like Cause around like, how old were you when all that was going down? I lost my virginity around like 15 and, and I think um, drugs and alcohol didn't really kick in until later, but it wasn't that much later. And I think growing into being um, a young adult, I um, particularly, I think in the in the electronic music scene, I was very open to like trying everything and and saw myself as an open individual, which is really you know multiple layers of delusion that just were difficult to remove until even more more recently. <laughs> And, and what do you I, like just to kind of clarify, like, cause I think yeah. that I, I experienced you as a quite an open individual, but this idea of like, do you feel like it was kind of part of the party persona that was like p- part of the, the kind of fabric of the scene at the time? Um, I think I identified with it and I think I, I made it, I integrated well with it, but I, I took it into my private life in a way that was um, far more personal. And, and what I mean by that is, um, I recall during like, and I was just sharing this, I recall during like real rough times of addiction, that like part of my using was like just my ability to just show up as a human. Like I, I had this, I had this Brazilian girlfriend at one point who was so present and so passionate and so funny. And I was just a full-blown addict around her. And there were times that like I just needed substances to like feel like I could keep up with her <laughs> and like yeah, just be a human. good boyfriend. <laughs> like just like, you know, and but in order to get to that place, there was all this like double, you know, living a double life prior to that, you know, running out and getting drugs and hiding it and things like that. But there there were these like really intimate moments where like I was present. I just was, you know, checked out neurologically. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, that's interesting that you say that because I do think kind of a lot about my formative experiences like with sex and drugs and thinking about like I some of them are like hectic disassociation yeah. <laughs> like like kind of incredible and like heartbreaking like and uh, like just the only way to like feel was to cause harm and be harmed like that was just like so dramatic but other other things I remember with like, there was like actually a, like a lot of fun and a lot of presence and a lot of like mm. freedom that I don't think I would have experienced otherwise like without being able to have access to getting fucked up just because prior to kind of discovering drugs I was so uncomfortable <laughs> all the time mm-hmm. you know that's, like that's the delusion I speak of you know I I didn't I mean I don't know if that's the next question is about how do I how do I view sex you know, going into sober chapters or whatever, but um, I, I would overhear. We'll get there eventually. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I, I, I didn't realize I had these intimacy issues until later. You know, it's yeah, one of these things totally. where I hear people talk about it. You know, much older than me, and I would, I'd always like pity them. Oh, that's terrible. I don't see myself like that. Like I, uh, yeah, <laughs> you know, I see myself as like a, a, a full lover, and, and it's really, like, like layers of the onion. Later, you're like, shit, uh, shit, yeah, shit. Yeah, the shoe's about to drop, and I was just sort of like, <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm a weirdo. Oh. I didn't know that. <laughs> but maybe not. I mean, maybe it's like more compassionate than that, that it's actually yeah. not like, a, not even a delusion, but like, I love Gestalt therapy refers to like all of our bullshit, like what in AA we call character defects, the idea of like, what is it? A uh, creative adjustment <laughs> to the situation. Yeah, like totally. this is as creative. This is how I creatively adjusted to the circumstances that were happening at the time. Often that I created to be fair, but like, this is the way through. This was the only way I could, this was doing the best I could. You know? <laughs> I mean, fortunately, I think most of us are kind of attracting people, you know, where we're at, we're meeting them where we're at. And so if we're still struggling with this, we're probably attracting similar energy. So it's, it's not that apparent. It's only when like things get a little weird where like all of a sudden you attract someone with that, you know, has a lot of presence and who has a lot more experience than you do in this. And then you're, you're met with this like, Oh shit, I have work to do. Yeah. The mirror is not kind in that, in that circumstance. <laughs> but it's tough too. Cause so much of the work, that work, like the relational int- intimate work has like, it can only be done like, in relation Real time. <laughs> so, like, ah. <laughs> like i think i'm doing great while i'm by myself and then i'm confronted with like the actual need to like have an emotional intimacy and i was like ah. <laughs> gross yeah. i would agree i would agree but like i said i was I, I could think of each stage where i was like oh this you know and you know this is too personal but it like great there, there was a girl i was seeing for a while and she never took her shirt off during sex and i was like well, that's kind of weird but i'll just roll with it and, and like this went on for weeks and i was like huh <laughs> like never did you ever like, talk I, about I, it no no and and i was like oh. no and then I realized, like, there's part of me that's like that, too. Like, there's yeah. other versions of that inside me that that's certainly projecting onto her. And, and so, you know, we sort of met each other in the middle. Yeah. I mean, which can which can work out. Like, unfortunately, again, like, that's the, the same thing, right? That, like, you don't know it's weird until you're kind of confronted with it. And then you're like, huh. <laughs> what's, with, what's, with, what's up? <laughs> yeah. <That's, laughs> more would be um, <laughs> Indeed. So speaking of which, how did you eventually kind of get sober? 
like how did what did what did the bottom look like and then how did you move from that point um the first one clean and sober the first one was i i just i was gonna die um i was gonna die and and um it just was really dark and I'd also, you know, I, it happened again, but like, I just really got, I got bored of it all. I think that's what's nice. Like something about my internal compass is a bit of a snob. <laughs> I'm really grateful for that. Where it's just sort of like this shit again, dude, you're going to keep doing this shit. And, and it reached, and it was, you know, well, also let me, let me just explain the external circumstances. I, mean, I need the rug pulled out from under me. So a lot of, a lot of walls came down. A lot of bridges got burned. Um, I, you know, there were some very serious amends that had to be made out there, both professional and, and, you know, and personal, but doors had to close on me and for me to realize that my behavior was unjust and, and that I needed to change everything. And I need to really look at transformation. Then the second one, which I think this is significant to talk about is like, even, even though I'd sort of said goodbye to that lifestyle, I really wanted to drink. I was like, oh, I've got this. French father and all these stupid excuses, you know, I want to be European. I miss my blood. <laughs> the fuck I was thinking. And, and so, but I'd gotten a, a taste of sobriety. I've gotten enough of it. And that really played a crucial role in my coming back into this life because this second death in some ways was worse. This second death um, had suicidal ideation and had all this mm -hmm. stuff that was just really confusing me. And how could I go from like, you know, zero to hero so quickly? How can I really like feel like all the pieces are in place, but when I sort of go into a shame spiral and, you know, an, an option would be to just kill myself. And this happened a few times, you know, I'm not saying it was um, so borderline, but, but regardless, it's important to share it. Cause I, I was like, I, I knew like, deep down inside, like I wanted to live like this, this is yeah. like, how, how does my mind go to that space so quickly? And, and I also kind of got punk rock about it in my own way where I was like, alcohol is fucked up. It's really it's like yeah. crazy substance. It's like, if it's making my, I, all the drugs and everything combined, sure. That maybe that's the right excuse, but this is just booze. And, and I was going to these dark spaces and, and also I think the real sort of, you know, spiritual moment when I, when I gave it a shot again was like, oh, right. Like I'm getting everything back now. Mm. Like if I just say goodbye to this one thing, um, I'm getting so much more in my life. And not that I want to promote like grasping or in pursuit of, you know, just being in pursuit of abundance. But I mean, like really fully understanding that, like this thing is causing me problems. Let's remove it and see what changes. And then all of a sudden I realized my life just gets bigger. As we always say. Yeah. But I mean, they talk about that, right? That, that idea of like, it's not always it, like dying alcoholic death or live a life on spiritual terms are not easy. It's not an easy choice to face. Like this idea of like that level of surrender, even though it seems fucking basic, is like pretty gnarly. Because... Yeah. <laughs> It's so easy to justify, like, I can't I just do this thing that I want? Like, whatever that is, like, be it drinking and using or behaving in a certain way or, like, continuing to live. Hey, 
drinking you know. and seeking a spiritual life. Like that was, I'm, I'm like, I'm such a clown in that aspect. <laughs> I was like, I, that's what's missing in my life. It's just, I'm not spiritual enough. And, you know, I joined a Tibetan Buddhist community in New York and was like really going through their curriculum. And like, I was like showing up to these weekend retreats, like hungover. I'm like, what am I doing? This is like, I'm like my concentration shot. And, and I'd make up all these silly excuses that they're like, there was so many spiritual teachers that, you know, sought enlightenment that were also struggling with alcohol. I'm like, yeah, but they wrote books. You know, like, <laughs> I can't even write a fucking email. <laughs> You're like, Freud, Jim Morrison, like everyone's doing so good. <laughs> just, like, it debilitates me and, and I'm just not at my optimal level. And actually this is super important is like, my curiosity to my own life and other people's lives is at a zero or mm. negative when I'm using even just alcohol. I just don't seem to give a shit. And if one of the alternatives is this sort of amplified curiosity, as soon as I get sober, I don't want to let go of that. You know? Yeah, it is. A, it is a big fucking gift. Like that's a big prize, you know, yeah. one to want to live and two to like be stoked and curious about it. Yeah everything I don't know to be I mean to really just like lean into like the boring and the, and and just be mesmerized by it You're like, oh, how, did, how did that happen all of a sudden you know and one so, of our other guests described it as like the f- f- an, an experience of the finer things like as in like kind of the magnification turned up like you can actually you can actually experience the finer thing like something doesn't have to be on a scale of like 11 right. out of 10 to be able to feel it and I, right. I really like that like I think a lot about the process of like recovery being like more and more access to something that's like very fine yeah. you know and subtle like Japanese ambient <laughs> yes, yes for me power ambient but okay whatever <laughs> whatever Paul <laughs> has to be power ambient fuck like, now I get it <laughs> Now I get what all those dudes were talking about. <laughs> I never got it before, but yeah, no, I just thought I did. I was just like bullshitting. It's fine. <laughs> um, so, like for this kind of this recovery, what had to change in your life for it to stick? Wow, a death to a lot of really quality relationships, which I thought were quality at the time. Um, I mean, if any of them were actually to hear that that knows what I'm referring to. Death sounds like a really dramatic word, but just like defining better boundaries. And then like, I, I, you know, how, how do you learn to pursue your own interests and, and just trust the path of like letting go of certain individuals and routines and environments will create space for new environments and, and to, you know, just to constantly lean into that. So and I think the reason for some of us addicts have a difficult time with that is we just have a lot of grief around these sort of, you know, abandoned. Yeah, letting go is hard. Letting go is super hard. We really want to hold on to so much because it sort of gives us without a sense of love and security that we've created or what's left of it. And I think when we've gotten healthy enough to realize what's better for us or what we may need, um, it's about really draining those things that we don't need anymore. And, and, mm. You know, that, and actually that was sort of my transition from Berlin to Paris, as much as like this was bringing me a lot of joy and I was connecting with something that, um, that I I had had when I was younger. Um, there was, there was this sort of 
you know, inner compass that was taking me to go take on a challenge of basically moving in my adult life to Paris where I didn't have a lot of friends. I mean, you know, I saw you around, but like, I didn't, I wasn't certain about my support network mm-hmm. and I just had to trust that it's all going to come together. And, and, and that sobriety gives you those, that, that sort of experience, like, you know, things are going to come together and, and you'll find your way. what did making the jump feel like um like an adult (laughs) (laughs) awesome that's fucking rad i think i would say that um but yeah really you know like it'll all work out like let me detach from this thing and i left this this at this moment on a high note you know I'd, i'd created these these already these artistic circles in berlin i was really inspired by I was like, I got to do this thing. I, I got to go to the path of the most resistance, you know, and, and here being around French people, and like hear <laughs> French all the time, which is like, <laughs> yeah, which, you know, it's just a constant reminder that I've just got this like, um, repairable relationship between my father and I, and that side of my life that I, I get to work on it on an everyday basis. And it's not always fun. But at least I'm. That's are hard, man. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, somebody at the men's retreat was asking me, and it came out quicker than I'd ever told someone my story. I doubt I can do it again, <laughs> but it it sort of came out in a sense of like if I could rebuild my life and a career around my passions and use my craft as a way to get by and, and really you know pay the bills, and and in return I get to sort of like work on this. Um, this internal world stuff that um, that is measurable, right? The, the, this like dealing with this father wound that is measurable. Um, that's a gift because if I was at a distance in other places like New York and Berlin, it would still be lingering around. I think it mm-hmm. would. And right now I'm, I'm like, I really in search for my own identity, I've come to places that I'm really comfortable with. Like, I'm not really French, you know? Like, I'm, yes, I have a passport, but like, my mind doesn't work in that same manner. And I'm really embracing the, and, and adopting all the ideas that have been gifted to me in my life, rather than trying to replace them with other people's ideals. And and um, I think it's search for oneself, right? And, and appreciation and acceptance of where we are I think there's always been a, a, a lot of confusion about that being in New York, like, oh, you're French. And if I was to say yes, you know, I don't think I'd be, be fully honest with myself unless having lived the chapters that I'm living now. Yeah. And also I think it like, it takes leaving to, to figure out like where you're from. Like that was definitely my experience kind of Nailed it. living as an expat. <laughs> like, Nailed it. I had no idea what America like, as a kind of concept was internally, because I never really identified with it until I landed somewhere else and was like, oh shit, like I have all of these constructs that are kind of the result of, you know, a a cultural upbringing that don't apply here. And in fact, when I talk about them, they're met with something entirely other, (laughs) which is both frustrating and fascinating. Um, And so like, how did getting, I mean, you talked a little bit about it, but more explicitly, how did sober... Uh, sobriety affect your sexual or romantic relationships? Wow. Um, <laughs> yeah, for one to realize how in my head I am, like in these acts early on, 
and also how I, how my in you know the increase to have sex or to, to you know be with people um, now that I've removed drugs and alcohol was increasing and and to take responsibility for that like what's going on you know disassociation or whatever um, I think fortunately when we when we're, when we're on this path and we get to listen from our elders we we do pick up on some some ways of not making so many mistakes when you hear people <laughs> open up about their lives i am listening <laughs> I, am, I am trying to pick up on those notes um but obviously there's a lot of mistakes we're going to make on our own and i think you know that what i sort of said earlier applies here too is like i sort of met people where i was at so you know if i was sort of like still unclear about my issues with intimacy i kept attracting them and then as i got healthier sort of like attracting somebody a little bit healthier right and um i was i I think this has allowed me to take responsibility and start to communicate with sexual partners too about like sort of um their needs and 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 learning about my needs and i'm not gonna lie like early on people are like what do you want i was like i don't know (laughs) <laughs> I mean, and that, I think that that's like kind of common, especially in like straight or cis relationships, because like where there's so many, I don't know, like expectations that are so, they're ingrained so early mm. that you never, like you don't even think about answering that. You don't even think about like interrogating that within yourself, much less kind no. of like having a deep curiosity for somebody else's answer, you know? No. And so like, yeah, to have the opportunity to actually be like, oh fuck, like in order to even get to know or tolerate this part of myself and like explore what is the answer to that question or multiple answers to that question. Like I have to, I have to be curious about that too. (laughs) It's, it's like learning to speak, (laughs) you know, you have, it it literally is like another language and, and, you know, it's the same thing as somebody's like, how do you feel? And like, you can't even hit the four, like, top words that people say you know, <laughs> what I do know is that I think um, the work that I do and, and all these sort of different worlds and modalities is I, I'm, I'm thawing out mm. and by thawing out I get a better idea of, of what I do want what I, or at least what I don't want and what I don't want I learn by a lot of experimentation uh, <laughs> indeed like, yeah, there's stuff that happens where I was like, um, you know what? Don't do that again. <laughs> yeah, or like maybe this is not like maybe that like response, like the auto response is not the response. <laughs> like yeah. maybe that yeah, response exactly. always brings you chaos. Like how about you don't do that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just like a novel concept. <laughs> totally. Don't make me do that again. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Or like don't put myself in a situation where that's like the number one fucking choice. Like where it seems like yeah. a good idea. Yeah. And I think so much of recovery is kind of about that process of like, <laughs> like what will it take for you to not walk down that street again? I'm curious. <laughs> Yeah, and don't get me wrong, I think the perfect place for me, which I'm sure exists in Paris as well, it's just not as so easily accessible as, you know, when I was living in Berlin and early sobriety, again, I was like, ooh, you know, I was just like, this place is a little crazy, you know, it's like a kid in a candy store sometimes at some of those venues where I was like, ooh, do I want that? Um, and, and I, I, think I that do we, think that that is a cultural, like, thing for Berlin specifically, though. Yes, like it every is. it seems like everywhere else it's much more kind of closeted. I would that agree. Level and of it, yeah, desire and kind of yeah. expression. And the and the funny thing I learned about like true Berliners is they know it's directly related to their like trauma. 
Like they're pretty hip to it. They're like, As a culture. Yeah, no, because I, I was like, do you think this, like, you know, the extreme and the sort of like um, the ubiquitous, like, BDSM is like maybe kind of World War II related? And they're like, oh, yeah, 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 we know that. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> You're like, do you think it's fun? They're like, oh, yeah. <laughs> You're like, <laughs> like, I was like, that's so cool. You guys know that. They're like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> humorless <laughs> humorless but very direct and honest yeah. <laughs> sorry sorry berliners uh, <laughs> just like shooting shooting down entire cultures here on cybersex <laughs> but i mean it, it it is it's 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 far more accessible and reachable and i also know that a lot of it's not a part of my path necessarily or or maybe it is later wherever i'm at today there's work to be done, right? And so the exposure I had, though, was certainly interesting, and I sought, I sought it out. And then I was like, well, I'm not ready. Is it you mine? <laughs> um, and then so, like, kind of looping back into this, the men's work, um, like, can you talk a little bit about, like, what that process has been like and what drew you to it specifically and, like, what it's doing in your life? Because it sounds like kind of a massive rearrangement that's pretty profound. Wow. I see you, Paul. <laughs> yeah, it, it is. And, and I think it's sort of the gift um, of, you know, I don't want to just say sobriety, but when we come to terms of like the, um, the human experience and how delusional we can be. And when you realize how many counterintuitive paths we can take and how it opens up our world, um, for me, that's the track record where I, I just like, you know, what I mean by that is like, even in, you know, even being sober, I see this like issue with men and I don't feel comfortable or safe or, you know, these little moments. And I hear like other people that are sober feel the same thing. And the advice is when I go to more men's you know, groups and things like that. And, and I was like, fuck that, man. That sounds like, yeah, that sounds like the last thing I ever want to do. And then when that's I, hilarious. Yeah, and then when Just I open it's my like heart up a little bit, and I'm like, oh, I, sh- I should do that. I should identify. I should connect. And and it's you know it's been a slow roll for me. I mean, I've been invited into these circles even when I was still drinking in like 2015 in New York. There were some couple organizations that popped up on my radar, and I knew it then. I knew it that it was probably going to be part of my path. Um, and I was so uncertain about sort of the curriculum or the details, and you know, I'm like. And, and it came up again before I left for Berlin. And then um, I think Berlin, it was really confusing. I don't, I don't think I met. Oh, this makes sense. There was a gentleman in Berlin who came up on my radar who was running these circles. And and he had been introduced as early as 2014. And I kind of heard about his path. And I was like, I don't know about this dude. <laughs> you know, like, I don't know what this dude. This Suspicious. Up, man. He's like, you know, all this like masculine shit, like whatever, good luck. Um, and, and then like, that's, that's, you know, that's when I came to terms with my own thinking at one point where I was like, what would happen if I had just responded to his like invitation, you know, like at multiple times, which one was 2014, one was 2018. And so 2020, in the middle of the pandemic, I found myself in Berlin and I reached out. I was like, man, I just found out we know so many mutual people between LA and, and most recently in Africa, Bern and South Africa. This is crazy. Everybody I talk to tells me, asks me if they said that we, I remind them of you or something and then we need to meet. And so 
let's have coffee. And he sits down with me and we don't get up for like six hours. <laughs> Yo, <laughs> and this is during a time when like you're not seeing people. So that's yeah. like a real fucking it was overload. Insane it's like... connection. And I was telling him about my films, telling him about my path and the Gamora Monte research and the stuff that Johan Hari reached out about on addiction to all these other influences. And, um, and it was just great. We were just sharing details and, 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 you know, his path too. He was doing all kinds of wild stuff in the jungle and with, with plant medicine and things that even as a sober person I'm interested in and I've experienced, but I was choosing a different path and yet we could still meet in the middle and, and really he was hinting at, you know, there's this missing element for most of us. And it's really like this embodying masculine energy in men's work and men's circles. And I was like, yeah, I was like sort of on the verge of like, I think I agree with you. And I, I'm kind what were your of, preconceptions? Um, that's a good question. I thought it was going to be just too similar to some of the recovery circles and, and to, and just, you know, a bit too safe, maybe that's it. And, and not, you know, I don't know, not getting to the real trauma of it and, and trust issues. I feel it's just going to be slow moving, maybe. I don't know. I mean, again, that's my hypercritical mind kicking in. Um, and I'm, and I'm going to be honest with you, the optics, too. I yeah. think when I sort of like had reviewed the optics, I wasn't sold. And I was like, nah, this is some silly shit. Right. Mm -hmm. When I'd see there on, on Instagram and the, and the organizations, I'm like, I'm not really, you know, and that's, that's my fear kicking in. I'm not really sold on this. Um, or I don't want to look like one of those guys. I don't want to look like one of those dudes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't really know how they get from there to here, you know, all this stuff. Um, but what, but I can, I can really explain like the shift. And it came from a dear friend of mine who does a lot of work um, in the psychedelic world. And, and as this, you know, is becoming really popular in our world and becoming an alternative for, um, mental health, it's not, it's not in my path or whatever. It's just not a part of my path. And, and it, it feels very trendy. And I was yeah. able to go to this person who's actually an expert in this field. And he knows my story. I've known him since I was 15 years old. This is the, this is the friend of mine I wish was speaking with me. He can come was, on too. Yeah. <laughs> Give him our number. He, he would love to, He's, you know, and, and I was like, listen, man, I'm, I'm not prepared to like do plant medicine and go into these worlds. I mean, I've done that stuff when I was, when I was still an addict, but I was like, I'm, I'm, and I was showing him some of the stuff my friend from Berlin does. And he looks at me wholeheartedly and he's like, that's what's missing in our experience. Like where you're trying to get to right now, not, not that there's anything incomplete about you. I mean, that first off, that that's super important that we know that right, right where we're at, there's nothing wrong with us. We yeah. have to continue to remember that all through our recovery process. It says right where we're at, we are fine with who we are. There's nothing you know fundamentally wrong with us. But if, if you look at these um, outlets as furthering our transformation and sort of, you know, and so the investigation this man turns to me and he was just like, those men's circles is like the missing piece of the puzzle. And I'm highly, highly encouraging you to take a look at that and to see if it serves you well. And um, I started exploring it a little bit and, and coming up short, to be quite honest, there were certain groups that I joined where I was like, I'm not convinced, man. I was just like, I feel like I've constructed a way more important code to my own life. And I'm sort of seeing 
again, back to the optics, I'm sort of mm -hmm. seeing this as, as a bit more superficial than I anticipated. And out comes my friend from Berlin again and sends an invitation to me about a very particular group. I was like, there it is then. And I, and I work with him again. I mean, cut to a sort of eight-year process of my resistance. <laughs> and, and it's there I realize that there's so much going on with this from, you know, breathing techniques mixed with, um, oh, I, I haven't cited this book and it's going to make me real cliche as a sober person, but... <laughs> But you know, Bessel van der Kock's The Body Keeps the Score. <laughs> well, we have like sober sex Ooh. bingo and that's like number one. <laughs> number one. All sober people are just like, you know, in their hands reading out the Kathy Shan. Um, and, <laughs> Big T. <laughs> but there's so much information going on there. And even my friend who works and works in that psychedelic field is, you know, is, is in the same circles with Bessel's research. So I've gotten some more updated info and, it's, I mean, it's wild. Like this journey's gotten wilder and wilder. And I see myself wanting to be a part of it. Um, and what I mean by that is like, they're combining all kinds of different modalities, you know, um, breath work with um, Bert Hellinger's uh, family constellations, like stuff that's really out there and it's groundbreaking work. You seem really um, fucking stoked about it, which is really exciting too, because I think like, there's that a, this stuff that kind of, well, it goes on the, on the fringes of kind of a spiritual experience and recovery and like this kind of healing, you know, of, of that, you know, I'll just say like the 12 steps can, can facilitate. Yeah. And then there's also this idea of like, this is spiritual kindergarten. Like this isn't the destination. Like this is, this is another hand pointing to the moon. It's not the moon. Right. So like what other hands are pointing to the moon so I can get to know the moon better <laughs> from different angles or using different kind of spiritual technologies. And it seems like you're, kind of in that process because I I also think that like especially with significant time in recovery but it can be very easy to think that like you know all there is to know like to kind of not rest on your laurels but just to be like I'm good you know but like this is the thing that keeps like the, the path it does narrow but it also kind of like explodes <laughs> yeah yeah I mean there's there's um there's recorded information on, on when we work with our trauma, we re release a certain certain blockages that sort of brings us back clo and, and closer to our truer self. And and and, and neurologically, you know, um, optimal improvement of our brain. You know, I mean, or as the Buddhists refer to it as karmic cleansing, and that's what vipassanas are for. And and I think sort of like you know, that's another part of my path, but it's kind of hard to explain Everybody, you know, you, you meet it where you're at. And, and I think um, there's other fellowships that I belong to too, that sort of focus a bit on trauma and that, that makes sense for me as well. But then I, I, I'm just kind of not done there. I'm still just investigating. And, um, and now I'm realizing like, I'm, I'm just patient and letting all these things kind of unfold. And at, just as you said, I mean, there is no destination. I'm, I'm fortunate that they kind of come to me in a timely manner, you know, like, had I tried understanding some of that stuff in Bessel's book when I read it in Berlin, it wouldn't have made sense to me then, you know, it makes much more sense to me today. And, and there's much more willingness to, to lean into this stuff and go, Oh shit. Well, and also I think to honor your own skepticism, yeah. you know, I think that that sounds like it's been a really important part of your journey. Cause it's like, I know there's some, sh some shit, especially around this idea of like the divine feminine that I'm like, uh, <laughs> 
<laughs> like gross. Ew, get away from me. <laughs> dislike. No, yeah. thank you. You know, that there's like a hard resistance to. And like, I'm not sure if that's part going to be part of my path or whatever, but I do know that like the, the, the journey is not over, you know? And like, yeah. especially as a, for me, if we're talking about kind of gendered experiences for me as a woman, this idea of like, mm. um, a, a galvanizing spiritual experience in direct relationship with an ongoing political conversation <laughs> is like that that's that feels important you know and it feels important to like make make work around it and it feels important mm-hmm. to talk about you know with with a platform and so this idea of like the spiritual the intellectual the like advocacy work and the healing there's no like there's not necessarily a separation it's all it, mm-hmm. it, it's all necessary and that it's okay to be like no thank you <laughs> to yeah. certain parts if it doesn't feel authentic or if it doesn't feel like the right fit that's it. I think if we're not feeling authentic, it's 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 not for us, right? But then there's also recognize our resistance. That's yeah. for me. I have to know it's like because often, as I mentioned, if I'm resisting, it's probably because I should dip my toes in it. So like, what's what are your kind of how do you tell in your body or in your kind of heart like what's the difference between your resistance and like what what you're just like not, that's not mine. Like, can, do you know the do you do you hear the question? Does that make sense? No, it totally makes sense. I think it's just time and space. Um, you know, as I said, I just used my track record when it came down to mm. that friend of mine in Berlin. Where I was like, I always do this. Yeah. So, yeah. But you also didn't join several of the men's groups you checked out. Like, what was the difference between that feeling and the feeling that you're kind of getting out of this particular lane? Well, I also... I also have to add that, like, I think I just got to a place in my life where I trust my path more, too. Maybe that's mm. it. Where I just realized these things are coming at a time that I need them or that I'm interested in them as opposed mm. to, oh, that seems interesting, but look at all those fucking read. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not <laughs> <laughs> Good save, Paul. Just kidding. Um, but, just, yeah, I, <laughs> I hear you. Yeah, you're just like, oh, yeah. Not uh, me. Not me. No. <laughs> That's not me, but, um, but it, that's a great question. I, I think I'm still figuring that out. Um, I will give you an example in my experience. I can't de- describe exactly what happened over the weekend, but there were things that came up that I, I often can resist or be shy about. And, and I just went for it this time. It was like, no, I'm like, and also in some of these, Men's circles, you know, there's elders, and this is super important, just as it is in in recovery communities, and just as it is in the sangha community. You know, the sangha and, and Buddhist practices is like you need to be seen by these people. You know, they need to kind of understand because they usually can see, you know, themselves in you. And if you're lucky and you hang around, that you know, that invitation's there to be to to find a guide or to kind of surrender. Mm-hmm. I think that we need to keep that curiosity and that trust throughout our lives and know that like, Oh, I'm resisting, but I trust this person, you know, and I'm going to give my like will over to this, this moment and like, just kind of see what's going to happen. And that happened over this weekend. There there was, you know, a man who looked at me and was like, I I just saw myself in you. And I saw, I saw a shift when you, when you say yes to these things and it's beautiful to watch. Mm. That's what a beautiful kind of like outside affirmation. <laughs> yeah, which some of us still need, you know. I mean, and, and yeah, then, like, <laughs> a lot of the time. <laughs> trust too. I mean, 
what do I have to offer some of these men, right? There's, there's clearly something that they're, they're seeing in me and they're doing an act of service. But the, like, the dynamic of like a spiritual teacher in the, in the Buddhist community, like what do I clearly have to offer this guy? Like a monk of 35 years who's taking time to do a one-on-one with me. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I'm always just sort of like so frightened by, by our conversation runs. Like I had questions prepared, but now I showed up. I can't even remember. I don't even know my own name. <laughs> you know, like I'm staring at you because I don't have anything to offer. You know? Like, yeah. Although I do think like the, the kind of idea of mutual aid, like that, that that's so helpful just for the very basic, like it's such a, it's such plain language for that, yeah. that process of like, yeah. And I'm also kind of trust on a spiritual level of like that your enlightenment is going to benefit all beings everywhere. You know, that like this is for, this is for a global liberation. (laughs) And and that's my inner critic, right? That's, that's, those are my, that's what's left of my insecurities. Of course. In that moment, you know, I feel like I don't have anything to offer, even though this, his, his energy or her energy in these spiritual communities is the, the act of service is giving off enough. Yeah, it's funny though, because like it's it's funny that yours is like, what do I have to offer? And mine is like, please like me. Like, <laughs> like the inner critic is like, I must be loved, <laughs> be charming, please be funny. Please, please, please. Yeah. Totally. Totally. <laughs> so, um, yeah, speaking of twelve step recovery, we often talk about this, like you know, the idea of a sex ideal or who or what we're growing towards being in um like who we want to show up as in romantic or sexual relationships or partnerships are you working with the sex ideal today i think i'm getting there yeah i think i'm um is this sharing too much information i'm not really like no (laughs) no paul no because i (laughs) i just i i kind of i recently met someone a couple months ago um who sort of again i'm in a healthier place in my life so like is meeting me in the middle with a lot more experience on some of these topics and it's powerful and and there are things i got to share about what i was going through in these recent years and even particular months you know and i was met with you know it was Receipt, well received and curious and supported and you know there were things it's talking about semen retention and things I'm learning from my men's communities and I'm like you know this person was fully supported and, and like intrigued and, and just that made me trust my past even more I'm just like wow I'm sort of constructing something very different and like letting go of a lot of other things that I've grown out of including letting go of a lot of shame and that's like, awesome yeah and um, and to and to be able to have these open conversations and, and to and to get excited about them and, and to realize and to hear the other person sort of like stumbling with their experience and sort of and also um, forthright with their desires, I was like yes yes yes, you know, this <laughs> is like really wow. And and even if it doesn't go anywhere, just those conversations alone are a version of intimacy. Oh, and yeah, and being kind of met as you say where you're at, like yeah. I don't know, I th- I think there's also so much like grace and as that shame starts to disappear and you can actually like name and ask for and communicate what you want and hear other people's desires or or needs that it's like oh I don't actually have room in my life for anything less authentic than that like that everything else can kind of fuck off like yeah what 
why would I waste my time be being so concerned about like, yeah, my likability or like being like being, being afraid of somebody's judgment when they clearly cannot meet me where I'm at. <laughs> yeah. Like what a, what a gift to, to be like, Oh wait, I don't give a fuck. I'm, I'm living my truth. <laughs> 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 yeah. Oh, you look really happy. That's nice. It's you know, I, I, well, it's also one of those things where I was like, "What's going on here?" Is this? Is this? You know, I have I have to back up. This person's fortunately, um, while I'm traveling, is also um, doing a vipassana right now, and and is abroad with family, far far away, and like, we get time to process. But you know, now now another. Another investigation has to kick in for me, and it's my job, you know, to sort of be like, oh, to investigate like love and lust and and sex and things like that. Like, what are, what are we created here? And 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 I've already spoken to this person about that, and so we're we're sort of going off in different corners, and it's really cool. We'll see where it goes, you know, and just like try to remove the expectations in a lot of ways, and and really understand what's going on, and not get caught up in the moment. And I yeah, also have or like feel vulnerable and then get codependent like immediately. And, and, you know, we have, when we have support networks, I have plenty of people coming out of the woodwork. They were just like, okay, now, <laughs> you know, they're like protecting me. They're like, now, what did she say? Or like, what does she want? Like, you know, what does she think? Is Your men's circle like text analysis. Fucking fun. Can I live? Yeah, but I understand that need, you know, when you have friends that really want to continue your process of, of nurturing and, and nurturing yourself and just, you know, supporting your journey. And now we That's get very to, sweet. <laughs> yeah, it's just, again, we, we, we can be a bit delusional, so it doesn't matter. We can take a few steps back. But um, I have to look at some of those things, you know, my, my attachment issues and approach and, uh, and also, you know, um, our obsessiveness and things like that. Just like what's, what's lost and what's really cultivating feelings and what am I being validated and heard? And, and, and am I doing the same, you know, authentically? Actually, what a friend of mine said is like being able to see the person um, in front of the story. Mm. so often these situations the story the romance kind of hijacks the person before you yeah or just like the projection yeah that's, <laughs> that's what i'm getting at and i was like Ooh. and and i told this person this i was like well somebody who cares about me was asking about this and and the response i got was i have to do that sometimes i have to really spend time with that you know i have to yeah i have, I have to make Oof. sense of what's the story versus like am i getting to understand the person well and also i think like surrendering oh in an aware way that like so much of it will be like more will be revealed in the sense that like at the beginning the entire thing is projection <laughs> like and it's kind of dismantling that over time as like one is able to be present in the moment in their bodies in authentic in an authentic way yeah. to kind of receive what's actually happening as opposed to just like what i'm imagining is happening which is that part's fucking hard as far as i'm concerned <laughs> I think it's, I think that's the practice of it all, right? Like that's and and I think also looking at sex and relationships as as very spiritual, and it's something that we're constantly practicing, um, and that mistakes are going to be made <laughs> all the time. Yeah, and that it's okay. Like part of that's like yeah. that is actually part of the the joy ride. Like you can't do it perfectly. There's no there's no perfection. 
no. Thank God. <laughs> no. Yeah, seriously. I mean, just for, for me, as somebody who comes from this world, to sit down and have an adult relationship or to communicate without fighting or, or whatever, like sometimes those are my biggest wins. You know, they seem like little micro adjustments, but I can sometimes walk away from a conversation like that and be like, wow, I'm getting older. <laughs> yes like one for maturity like fist bump like yeah like you've grown up <laughs> as opposed to what you know what i was exposed to as a kid versus what i experienced as like a young adult you know it's just like wow those that those, those moments make me happy that's awesome. I mean, and also just to like what we're exposed to kind of globally in terms of media, like this mm-hmm. happily ever after kind of whirlwind romance mm-hmm. narrative as opposed to something that's like about being in the human relationship mm-hmm. in an authentic way, short or long, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like and growing as a result, ideally, ideally. <laughs> ideally, yeah. Um, and supporting someone else's growth, right? Like, yeah, that's beautiful. Um, so before we end, we're going to descend into the lightning round. Don't think too hard. Okay. And then I'll set you free to do your thing in Mexico city. Yeah. I just um, glanced at my phone. I'm like, where are you? I was like, oh, I'll be there in a second. You're like sober sex. Sober sex. What's your favorite snack? <laughs> What's my favorite sign? Snack. Oh, snack. Oh, wow. Oh, that's a good question. This seems way more difficult. <laughs> like Capricorn, yeah. obviously. <laughs> wow. Uh, nuts, nuts and bananas. Nuts and bananas, delicious. What's the song that pumps you up? What's the song? It can that... even just be like right now. It doesn't have to be like forever. It can be today. What's your pump up jam? Whoa. What is my pump up jam? <laughs> I like how you are much less disturbed by like, what's your experience of gender today? <laughs> You're like my pump up jam. <laughs> yeah, I know because uh, I go blank at this, especially as, as, as DJs. Sometimes you are like, hey, it's at the tip of my tongue, but uh, pump up jam. I still struggle with like, if I, I can lean into like sad songs, is like and get. I love only sad music. music. <laughs> um, uh, wow. Why did I just go completely blank? <laughs> you could look at your Spotify. You have permission. I know. Like, what have I been that. listening you know, to? Yeah. I mean. Just kidding, Spotify. Fuck you. Pay your artists. Anyway. I know. I know. I'm, like talking, <laughs> I'm talking clearly to the wrong person here. I no, know. same, same. <laughs> what was one of my recent. Um, uh, like, I'm feeling good. This is the song I want to hear. I mean, uh, uh, Electricity from Orchestral Maneuvers. That's a fucking perfect jam. That, okay. Thank you for reminding me of Electricity. I will listen to it after we record. <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah, that was, I, I, I caught myself listening to it a few times last week just to kind of get my energy up. Or Bellhead from Liquid Liquid. Yeah. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. Um, what is the last thing that made you weep? <laughs> Coming from a men's weekend. Um, yeah, the, that whole weekend. Um, <laughs> you warned me before this that your voice is shot, and I'm like, is it from crying with men? <laughs> yeah, love, yeah. Love that. It really does. I mean, not that was like what moment or what? Yeah. No, that's enough. If you, know, if you, you can expand process, if you want. Witnessing oh. another man's process. When a man is going through something, I can tell that he is resisting and he surrenders and goes through it. And I mean, I'm just like, I'm not alone. Like I'm watching other people. Oh, I love that. I love that for the future of the race. (laughs) Whoa. Yeah. There's nothing like it. That's awesome. That's beautiful. Um, What turns you on? And that can be sexually or creatively or intellectually 
take it as you will. Mm, intelligent beings with great taste and style who are very <laughs> themselves. I don't know. I don't know. That's perfect. That's that is pot. Yes. Yeah, just really what is- free with their energy and just kind of no. They know how to like just kind of rub up against you like a cat. <laughs> Intelligent beings with great taste and style, who know how to rub up against you like a cat. <laughs> yeah, literally, just could come into a room and just be like purr and just <laughs> happen there. You know, um, yeah. Feline, feline energy. Feline um, energy. Yeah, mixed with great taste. Yeah. Your great taste is really important. Yeah. Um, what is the last series, book, or movie that you that delighted you? Um, that delighted me. Well, I mean, I'm reading so much on a regular basis right now. Um, fuck this, These are those questions I always go blank. I have to like. Sit <laughs> it's the hardest these questions days. the entire podcast. Yeah. Like, I'm look just, at your Kindle. <laughs> I kind of. Um, I mean, I read so much from my little path of, hmm, it delighted me. I mean, um, I crush a lot of books for, for my, delighted me. I'm going to say, I'm going to mention a book that I couldn't stop talking about that I read in the last year. That's awesome. Just, Perfect yeah, choice. I mean, Grace Jones's biography. <laughs> just like, I just could not get enough of her and. I just like fell in love with her all over again. And the fact that like the way that she treated being an outsider in Paris is a very inspiring way for me to continue living there and, and, and how she, the dynamics that she created and, and, you know, even just sort of understanding how French people are coming at her. She'd just be like, baby, please. You know, she's just sort of, <laughs> <laughs> she That's so awesome. them in a certain way where I was like, that was actually really clever. You baby, know? please. And, Baby. <laughs> yeah. And and I think and I was I was, you know, selected to do some research on her to develop her story with, with um Marc Conan in Paris. So um I really got into that book and I caught myself talking about it a lot with people. Um and really inspired by her. But there's there's a bunch of like Buddhist studies and things that are probably I like Grace Jones's, but you don't have to go further. Grace Jones's biography sounds fucking stellar. Yeah, it's so it's so relevant <laughs> to my sort of accepting myself in Paris. <laughs> oh, I love that. I'm 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 inspired to pick it up. Um, and finally, what do you love? What do I love? I think I'm really um, I'm leaning into so much. Um, everything different than I used to be at the same time finding what I really loved when I was a child again. And, and that's okay. Um, you know, the, like the sound of a cello is like revisited in me in, in ways like I can't even really describe anymore. I didn't think I didn't see that coming and things that I sort of had um, created a real fixation with when I was younger, I'm connecting with that energy again and mm. I'm doing it in a way that I have much more, presence and clarity around it as opposed to just grasping it I'm, I'm letting it really fully affect me and, and, and having an emotional experience with it right I'm just like I like that stuff <laughs> <laughs> but that's awesome that's because I can like see see how much you're kind of appreciating what you love in in when you tell me that so that's really nice yeah and you know, often there, there are things I discover about myself as, as long as I stay curious that you know, I might have pushed away in previous years and I, mm. I like more now, you know, like I live in an apartment with a fireplace. I'm super lucky. 
And um, I love my solitude. And, and I'm like making a fire like every other night there. And <laughs> I'm, I'm really like, nuts. <laughs> that's <laughs> awesome. And, and those that's sounds, they're, they're for no one else. You know, I'm not recording this stuff or posting it on Instagram. <laughs> you know, like it's, it's, it's a nine hour video of fire for you. I'm not making you log videos <laughs> for anybody these holidays. You know, it's just like, <laughs> it's me and that fire. And um, I guess I'm, I'm just continuing to uncover those things that I love and, you know, and find out more about myself. I mean, I love meditation. That sounds really cheesy. It's just, no, the, not at all. Yeah. The relationship to it and these sort of, um, real spiritual experiences to that, like every breath is different, right? Like, like sometimes really keeps in, you're just like, wow, that really like, just like snowflakes, you know, like, Oh, that sounds like a really, like when we, t- again, the, the, a finely, um, calibrated life. Yeah. Like that's really cool. As your friend mentioned. Yeah. Well, Paul, it has been an utter delight to get to know you better. And thank you so much for your time. I'll let you get on with your day. But thank you so much for coming on Sober Sex. Creativity, authenticity, body autonomy, mental health, sexuality, gender identity, recovery, recovery, got a special growth. Sober Sex, all of this and more. Sober Sex, you'll never get bored. Sober Sex, all of this and more. Sexuality, gender identity, recovery, recovery, gotta be